Welcome to the Hidden Archives Podcast. I'm your curator and host for tonight, Philip Clark. I know a lot of you are concerned about Nicole and wanting her to return as the host. Unfortunately, we were in a bit of a time crunch, so she was unable to appear this evening. However, I do want you to know that she will return soon. As far as other news goes, we have some things in the works as it were. We are planning on potentially ramping up production in light of the COVID-19 outbreak. What this will essentially mean is that we may very well extend season one to more than 13 episodes. We may also go shorter than two weeks between production of those episodes. To quote Gene Roddenberry, It is the struggle itself that is most important. We must strive to be more than we are. It does not matter that we will not reach our ultimate goal. The effort itself yields its own reward. So, let me spare you the effort and get right to the reward with this warning. If you choose to enter the hidden archives, if you choose to study the tomes, if you choose to take part in this journey with me, you do so at your own risk. Profanity and disturbing content may follow. This is your warning. In tonight's episode, we deal with the idea of obsession. In this story, we meet a man that becomes complacent and indulging in a particular obsession. However, it is this indulgence that takes him to a terrifying point of desperation. Please, just give me one more drink. You know I'm good for it, Larry. Don't I always pay? Don't I, Larry? Look, Aaron, it's not about that. You've had too much already. I should have cut you out four scotch and sodas ago. And now I regret not doing just that. Just go home and sleep it off. I'll call a cab for you. That's not necessary. Not necessary. I'll walk. Mr. Winner, Aaron, you can't even stand. I'll manage, I'll manage. I fumbled through the door of the lobby bar at the 71st Street Hotel. It was a bitter December night and the wind nipped at my ears. But I didn't notice. I was far too plastered to even notice the ground beneath my feet. Or which way was up. A little bit of cold weather wasn't even a blip on my radar at this point. The sidewalks were mostly empty except for other boozers like myself. I managed to make it a full seven or eight steps before tripping over some unseen crack in the sidewalk, or more likely, some blatantly obvious, to sober eyes, fire hydrant. I picked myself up, dusted off the ancient trench coat I was wearing, and tried to focus my eyes on the path ahead. But before I could determine which way it was to my one-bedroom apartment, my eyes focused on the very thing that the back of my whiskey-soaked brain was looking for all along. A flashing neon sign. Well, one more can't hurt me. I didn't even know there was a, a, another bar, several bars on 71st. I stopped right outside the door of the bar and read the neon sign. It read, 
the final round bar. Below that, another sign read, First round's always free. The rest you've got to pay for. Well, I said, that will suit me just fine. So I pushed through the steel door and made my way to the bar seat right in front of the beer taps, as this was my usual custom at every other bar in town. The dinky little establishment was empty, except for the bartender who stood cleaning a dirty rocks glass with a soiled towel. Keeping in line with everything so cliché, the bartender was about six feet tall, pushing 300 pounds, and bald, with a large handlebar mustache that covered up any shadow of a smile that may have been hiding beneath its bristles. As I sat down, the bartender said in a gravelly voice, Sorry, bub. It's almost closing time. Only got time for one round. Well, that's all I need. True that the first go-around is on the house? Well, yeah. You could try the house brew for nothing. But if you don't like what we got to offer, then you can switch back to whatever your preference is for good. I'm warning you, though. The house brew, well, it ain't exactly top shelf, if you know what I mean. Some people like it, others prefer their own customs. That's just fine with us around here. The choice is yours. Always is. Look. Enough with the chitty-chatty. I'm parched over here, huh? I'll try whatever you got. Right away. The bartender placed the rocks glass on a rack beneath the bar, wiped the taps with the same soiled towel that he had been using earlier, and poured a tall glass full of a dark, frothy beer. He handed it to me and said, Well, here's the free stuff. But I got the strangest feeling it won't be your taste. I took the glass, shot the bartender a sideways sneer, and downed it like I was a desert island castaway who had been offered my first bit of refreshment in months. I sat there for a moment or two, but something wasn't right. I felt like I hadn't in years. You were right, barkeep. This isn't anywhere near top shelf. I come in here buzzed out of my gourd, and now I'm sober as a preacher on Sunday morning. Well, it has that effect on most people. Hell, those who come in here, drink a pint of it, then leave, well, they usually never touch the stuff again. I can tell you something. I'm definitely not ordering this again. No, Mr. Winter. I don't think you quite get me. They never drink any alcohol again. Wait, how, how did you know my name? Did I mention it to you earlier? In a way, yes. You came in here, and we usually only get one type of person in this here bar. Call a hunch, lucky guess, or just intuition. I like to think I know my clientele very well. There was an awkward silence for a long few seconds. Then the bartender said, So as I was saying when you walked in, it's closing time. You've had your round on the house, so it's time for you to march on out, for me to lock that there door. Good night, sir. Whoa, 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 you can't do me like this, barkeep. I came in here to get more buzz, not to lose it altogether. Pour me another round of something name brand. Make it strong, too. I'll be out of your, er, hair in no time at all. I said as I lazily shook a finger to gesture at the bartender's balding head. Why don't you just quit while you're ahead, eh? I got a close shop here, and I think you'll be better off all the same. I don't want to be better off. I want to be drunk.
Very well. But this is on you. Yeah, 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 I read the sign. Here's my credit card, now swipe it in that little... I looked around for a cash register, or one of those pen pads that you swipe your credit card through, but saw nothing of the sort. Hey, where's the cash box? The bartender was in the middle of pouring the drink and said, I still don't think you get the whole picture. No cash box, no money, put your card away. That ain't how we operate here. He handed me the drink. Top shelf, right? Here you go. I set the drink down on the bar. Wait then, how do I pay for it? How do you keep this place running if you keep handing out free drinks left and right? Um, we manage. So I just drink this, walk out the door, and what? I get arrested or something? The bartender laughed. <laughs> What happens when you leave is on you. I won't call the police or anything if that's what you mean. I'm not trying to scam you. I just try to give people something good to drink, and if they like it, they usually find a way to make it up to me. There was another moment of awkward silence. Then I decided enough was enough, and I was done with sobriety. So I downed this new drink and stood up. I was definitely drunk again. It was the most blissful intoxication I had ever experienced in all of my twenty or so years in the bottle. Top shelf, said the bartender. Top shelf, I replied, then staggered through the large steel door and back into the night. The next morning was a Saturday morning and I expected to wake up hungover as all hell. But when the sun peeked through the blinds at around 10 a.m. and woke me, I noticed that I was still quite drunk. That was one morning when I wouldn't need a little hair of the dog that normally came from the mostly empty scotch bottle that I kept in the drawer of the nightstand. I smiled as I thought this, rubbed my eyes, and sat up in bed. For a moment, I was happy. But then I realized that I did need a drink. I needed one more than ever. It wasn't a hangover that sparked this thirst. It wasn't even to keep the buzz going. It was compulsion. I needed to drink just to drink, just to quench the thirst that had suddenly welled up inside me. Panic swept over me as I ripped the drawer out of the nightstand and grabbed the bottle. My hands were shaking, but I managed to twist off the little tin cap. Finally, relief was in sight as I put the bottle to my lips and drank like it was the last thing I ever would. I coughed with the first gulp and it trickled down my chin down my bare chest, and onto the bedsheets. But I was still drinking. I was still thirsty. The bottle was finally empty, but I felt no relief whatsoever. I could feel the dampness on my sheets from the little bit that had spilled, so I picked up the sheets and wringed what I could out of them and into my mouth. It wasn't enough. There was a bottle of gin in the kitchen and at least half a six-pack of beer in the fridge. So I made my way there and started with the beers, hoping that sheer quantity would stifle the thirst. But it didn't help, not in the slightest. Next was the gin. It was a liter bottle of the cheap stuff that I hadn't even opened yet. The plastic cap came off easy enough, and I chugged and chugged until it was empty. But even this wouldn't suffice. I had to think of something, and quick, too. 
But even though I was no more intoxicated than I was the night before, I was still too drunk to focus. Maybe I'll sleep it off, I said to myself, and I tried. But every time I got on the verge of sleep, my dreams would turn to the bar last night. The last round bar. I could see the neon. I could smell the sweet, smoky peat of the scotch. I could hear the bartender's voice. This one is on you. Maybe I could just deal with it for the time being, and sober up naturally. This was the first time since I had so much as tasted liquor that I wanted to be sober. The idea of sobriety was absurd, but it was what I thought I needed, what I knew I needed. But, right then, what I also needed was a pot of coffee. Stumbling back to the kitchen, I made my way to the counter by the sink and turned on the coffee maker there, which was already set up to make a pot as soon as the switch was flicked. After so many years of drinking, you learn to prepare for such occasions and the brief amount of time that you are sober. About ten minutes later, the coffee pot sputtered and hissed as the coffee finished brewing. I lined up three coffee mugs like shot glasses and filled them all in one pour. Then I proceeded to drink them one by one. But even after 30 minutes of finishing the last cup, I was no better off than before. I still suffered from a powerful, unquenchable thirst. Slowly, the hours passed by as I sat on the tattered old couch in my underwear. There was no TV set in the living room to keep me distracted because I sold it for booze a long time ago. I had no books because the only literature that ever interested me anymore was the liquor list at the local bars. So the hours passed by, one tick of the clock at a time. Pieces were starting to fall into place. What had I become? What did I have to show for my life? I worked the bare minimum doing mostly odd jobs just to get enough income to pay the rent and buy more to drink. I finally understood that I had become obsessed with the drink. It consumed me more than I consumed it. Everything I did, I finally understood, was to get that next drink. Not even to chase a high necessarily, but to simply maintain this empire of low mediocrity that I had attained. But how could I fix this? That was the question. That was the only coherent thought I could fixate on at the moment. Sometime around noon, if I had to guess, I started actually trying to sober up. I drank probably two gallons of water, but that wouldn't even touch my thirst. I had several bottles of sports drinks that I thought might do the trick. I guzzled them, praying that the sheer volume of liquid and electrolytes would help me to sober up and relieve the thirst that I felt. But again, I was left with only disappointment. I even thought about trying to find some stimulants from some of my seedy connections, if that would bring me out of my haze. But I decided against this. Finally, I even thought about checking into the hospital. But I figured that all they would do is put me in a room to dry out and let me sleep it off. Maybe I could just double back and get blackout drunk. But if a partial bottle of scotch, three or four beers, and a liter of gin didn't do the trick, 
then I figured nothing would. So I sat there knowing that, if nothing else would work, time would get me sober. I listened to the clock tick away, each tick of the second hand louder than the last. It wasn't like it hurt, like I was starting to come around and become hungover, though. It was just that time dragged on, and nothing was changing. Not one thing. I wasn't changing. What the actual fuck was I supposed to do? What could I do? Perhaps this had become my new reality. What did that damn bartender give me? I shouted with frustration from still being drunk and thirsty after hours of being awake trying to fix things on my own. Then it occurred to me. The first thing I drank at the bar had sobered me up. At this point in time, I would have sold my soul for just one sip of whatever that stuff was. This had to be the solution. I needed to get back to the bar and drink another one of those beers. I glanced at the clock. The little hand rested on the five and the big hand just past the one. Five o'clock. Time to drink. I was on a mission now. I had to get back to that damn bar. I knew that the bartender could give me some answers, if not actually fix this for me. So I needed to be ready. I stumbled back to my bedroom to find some actual clothes. Why bother with the closet when I was on such a time crunch? I just picked a shirt up off the floor, gave it a quick smell to make sure there was no vomit on it, and put it on. It was stained, sure, but nothing I owned wasn't. Next, I needed socks, so I browsed the floor looking for a pair. Fuck if they even matched. But amidst the various piles of unwashed garments, I could find nothing. Fine, just shoes with no socks then. I got my trench coat on and was halfway out the door before I realized I didn't even put pants on. Initially, I laughed at the obvious comedy in my error here, until I started to cry. Then I realized, when I continued to sob uncontrollably, that I was actually crying because of the sad state of myself. How fucking miserable can someone be to forget pants? Staggering back into my shitty apartment, I finally found something to cover my shame. Yes, I do mean pants, but I figured I might as well hide my face against the glare of onlookers, as well as the cold of winter. Thus, I grabbed a ski mask, which was probably the only clean garment I owned, and proceeded to check my pockets for the essentials of keys and my wallet. I realized at this point that I only had the ski mask, and that it was clean, because I had once been motivated for something. I was, before all of this, a somewhat accomplished athlete. Not anymore, though. This realization brought another tear to my eye as I walked out the door, not even bothering to lock it behind me. But I couldn't get hung up on the past. I had already neglected the present, and the last 20 years, so I needed to focus on my future. Ironically enough, I did this by setting out for the bar. The sun was already setting and glinting off the windows of the shops that lined 71st Street. This made it hard to see any neon sign that might have been illuminated. I knew that the bar I was looking for was less than a block from the 71st Street Hotel, 
but I could not find the steel door entrance anywhere. It was 6.30 now and very dark. I had been up and down 71st Street several times without locating the elusive establishment. But, right when I was about to give up and walk into the bar at the 71st Street Hotel, I saw a neon sign flicker into life. The final round bar. I had found it. I rushed through the door and found the bar just as it was the night before, completely empty. And the bartender was standing there behind the bar, cleaning a dirty rocks glass with a soiled towel. Welcome back, old friend, the bartender greeted me. Liked what I poured for you last night so much that you came back for another round, did you? Well, don't be shy. Take a seat. What was that stuff? Why am I still drunk? Yeah, it is pretty strong. Top shelf, you know. Look, cut the crap, all right? I want to know what you did to me. Now, now, Mr. Winter, you did this to yourself, remember? I told you what happens when you leave here is on you. I guess I could be more clear, though. What happens to you before you come in here, while you are in here, and after you leave, is on you. You make your own decisions. Twenty-some-odd years ago, you chose to crawl into a bottle of scotch and to never come back out. Then, last night, you wanted me to top it off. I was only doing what you asked. After all, this is the service industry, and I was just serving you what you requested. Service industry? Service industry? Your job is to make drinks, not to make decisions for people. Not to trap them in a hell like the one I'm trapped in right now. That's not what bartending is. The politeness of the bartender started to wane. I ain't talking about bartending, Mr. Winner. I was talking about humanity. Interacting with your fellow man is what I was talking about. When was the last time you ever did anything for anyone but yourself? Do you even remember? Of course you don't. As I said last night, I know my clientele very well. The only people that come in here are gin and whiskey-soaked leeches of society. They are the only ones that can see the sign and walk through this door. And they can only see it when they have gone as low as they can, when they are dancing with the tequila worm. I turned the sign on for you last night, specifically for you. If you chose not to come in here, you'd have been dead in the street. I gave you another chance. But you might have blown it when you scoffed at the house brew. What chance should I or anyone else give you now? What do you think you deserve? What do you think you can do for anyone? Here, the choice is still yours, Mr. Winner. It always has been. As for me, I have a choice too. After all, as you so keenly pointed out in several ways, I run a business here. And it is in the service industry at that. Sure. I could refuse service to you. I reserve that right. But you know what? I won't refuse you anything. It all hinges on your next choice, though. What I will do for you is pour you another one of those drinks I poured for you last night. And then you will return to where you've been. Up to you. So what do you say? Are you thirsty? You know damn well I'm thirsty. The bartender proceeded to pour another of the top-shelf drinks, but I stopped him. No, no, no. I don't want that one. I think I've had enough. Give me the first one, the house brew. 
You've already had that one. Only the first round is on us. You will have to pay for the second. I'll find a way. The bartender then dumped out the top shelf drink, wiped the glass clean, and poured the house brew. I drank it, but this time I drank it slowly. I savored each sip and each ounce of sobriety that it returned to me. Finally, I drank the last of it, and my thirst was quenched. So, how much do I owe you? Everything. You owe me everything that you have, and everything you will gain. I could open a tab for you if you like. I thought for a moment about this, then realized that perhaps this was the right thing to do. You know what? I'll do that. You know I'm good for it. I could just about make out a smile beneath the bartender's mustache as he walked through the door to the back room and disappeared. For some reason, I remained there for a little bit. Staring into my empty glass, I thought for a while about what I had gone through over those two days. It was finally over. Actually, all of it was over. With a clear head for the first time in years, I was able to finally contemplate what the past behind me was actually about and what the future might hold. The bartender never came out of the back room, and I didn't leave until much later because I finally had a clear head and a quiet place to think and plan. So that is exactly what I did. The sun was rising when I finally strode out the steel door and onto the street, walking away from the bar in the opposite direction of my shit apartment. I was off to new and better things with no pre-existing obsessions to hold me back. After that day, two things never happened again. First, I never picked up another drink. Second, I could never locate the last round bar. However, I still have a tab open there, and one day, I'm sure that I will need to close it. Well, this story has me feeling a little bit better about having to remain in my own home. At least I won't enter any seedy bars in the foreseeable future. Special thanks to Tim Ryan for voicing the last round bartender. There are many more stories from the hidden archives that have yet to be shared. We hope that you join us next time for another glimpse into the archives. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience LLC. Please no reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex Animo, Ex Tempus, and Archivum. <laughs>